The Lord be with you today. This is the second week of Epiphany following Epiphany. And Epiphany is that idea of these sudden experiences with God, these moments where he comes to us suddenly. Uh, It's interesting to me that Epiphany corresponds with the beginning of our calendar. It's uh, in early January. Now, I'm not a a big New Year's resolution guy. I think oftentimes that uh, when it comes to New Year's resolutions, we think about things that we wish were happening in our life, but we don't do anything about it. We just wish it was happening. And we don't really change our mind to be able to uh, actually put it into practice. We don't change our behavior. And so it ends up pretty much just, just being wishful thinking or kind of magical thinking. So I don't think it's quite so helpful sometimes. The gym that I go to, there's some new faces this week. I see quite a few new faces. Now I'll give them about two more weeks and they're going to start dropping off and it'll pretty much go back to the regulars. And uh, yet in the beginning of the year, we can't help but uh, think about a new year. And when we turn the page of the calendar, probably in your businesses and your work, you're thinking about the next year and you're plotting some things on the calendar. We've certainly done that in some of our staff meetings around here. We're thinking about all the things that we feel like God wants us to do in this new year. And so we do believe it can be a significant thing for our life. Um, The idea of epiphany in the church calendar is watching and listening. It's making room uh, for times in our life where we watch and we listen for the appearance of God. Now, Sanctuary, if you've been with us for a while, you know that we have found it fascinating and think it's important for us to pay attention to the church calendar. This idea of these seasons or rhythms that happen in the church that have been happening um, for years and years that uh, all, all Christians throughout the world kind of follow these rhythms and these seasons. And so paying attention to that, we believe forms us. It forms us as individuals and it also helps forms us, form us as a, as a congregation. And so the, the, this calendar has been put together in one form that's been put together is, is a um, a book called The Lectionary, uh, which has readings for each week uh, of the calendar. Now, it comes out in a book, but with, but with the magic of Google. Um, if you Google lectionary, what you will see is the revised common lectionary out of Vanderbilt Divinity Library. And you'll see up there on the left, it will talk about the different uh, parts of the church calendar. You'll see under year B, it says Advent. Those are the four weeks that lead up to Christmas. And then we go into the Christmas season. And then we have Epiphany, which is what we're experiencing now. And then we'll go into Lent and then Holy Week and then Easter. And then there'll be the season after Pentecost. Now, it's interesting to note that these are actually seasons. These are not just a day. Christmas is a season. Now, most of us think about December 25th. We think about the day. But that little song that you sang as a kid, the 12 days of Christmas, that's actually the season in the church. Um, It's the season of Christmas that then ends in Epiphany. Epiphany is a season. Even Easter is a season. Easter will celebrate that day, of course, on April the 5th this year. And as we have been for this last several years, we're going to go and all be together at Christ Chapel on the ORU campus, and so we can all see the rest of the family uh, that attends um, sanctuary. But Easter is actually a season. It starts on April the 5th, but it'll go actually all the way to the end of May. And then, um, and then that's the day of Pentecost. Pentecost is, is 50 days after Easter. It's actually Easter plus 49 days. That's where the word penta 
Pentecost comes from. And then we have the season after Pentecost, which some people call ordinary time or regular time that leads up into the next Advent. Now, you'll notice that it says year B there. And uh, there's a, a year B and a C and an A, of course. And the cool thing about this is if you will follow and track with this calendar for three years through A, B, and C, you will have been touched by and experienced the entire scriptural story. Because each of these weeks, there, there are scriptures that, that um, are presented. There's always one from the Old Testament. There's one from the Psalms. There's one of the epistles. And there's one of the Gospels. And so if you'll track with these, you'll, have been, you'll experience the entire story. Now, if we hit Epiphany there, which they just did, you go to this screen, which will show all of Epiphany and all of the, the readings for each of the, each of the weeks. And if you hit the second Sunday after Epiphany, which is, which is this Sunday, you'll go to the next slide, which is for January 18th, and it will show you um, the readings. It'll list them out. You don't have to look them up, but it's got one from 1 Samuel. We're going to see one in Psalm 139, and then we see something in 1 Corinthians 6. And then John 1. And so there's something about the listing of these scriptures. And so what's simply going into the new year you could do is if you simply opened up the lectionary and went to that week in the church and just slowly begin to read that throughout the week, you're going to be connecting with Christians throughout the world that are tracking with, with this same message and certainly even those in, in our own fellowship here. So today, we're going to take a look at this week in the lectionary, and we're going to go through each of the four different sections of scripture, and we just want to share with you some things that jumped out to us as we were reading this particular part. You know, when we spend time in the Word, when we get ourselves to where we're reading through God's Word daily, you can read along and read along and read along, and it's like what Ed says, it's like a, a jack-in-the-box you read, 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 and then bam, all of a sudden, something speaks to you or something stands out to you. And it's an epiphany in your life. You hear the word of the Lord that, that just comes out to you. And so we're going to take a look at a few of these. We happen to find a common theme in this particular section. You may or you may not. God may be speaking to you something totally different. But we just want to go through section by section so you can see how the lectionary works and you can see the different parts of scripture that you see in it. So let's take a look first at the Old Testament. Today's is 1 Samuel 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel. And he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli, and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. 
And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears of it tingle. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was a trustworthy prophet of the Lord. Samuel is thought to be probably about six or seven years old, a lot of historians think. That's why we believe children's ministry is really a big deal around here. We think that kids have this opportunity to have these epiphanies and to hear um, the voice of the Lord at a very young age. Uh, Eli was old, um, says that his, his eyesight and his hearing were not very good. Uh, the lamp of the Lord here is a candle that they would make sure that would never go out. A little bit like the, the prayer tower, the flame on the top of the prayer tower to where you, they make sure that that never goes out to show that God is always with us. He doesn't sleep. He's never disconnected. He, he's always um, in, in our environment. Now, Eli's sons, some of you know the story of Eli's sons. These were the guys that were probably going to take over or supposed to take over for Eli. These guys were an absolute mess. They were wicked. They were evil. They were misusing some of the things in the temple. And those would have been the main examples that, Eli, or, yeah, that, that Samuel would have, have grown up around. But somehow Samuel was able to minister to the Lord by ministering to Eli. He was able to keep his, his focus, even in the midst of some really bad examples around him. Now, people believe that Eli's main responsibility, he was in kind of semi-retirement at the time, his main responsibility was kind of just for the inner court um, to make sure that the candles didn't go out and to care for that area. And that's what Samuel did. Samuel probably simply uh, read to Eli each day, he probably swept out the court most every day. He probably made the beds. Uh, he made sure some of the candles didn't go out. And it was in that simple life, in that, those simple daily activities, that he was prepared to hear the word of the Lord. The scripture made me think of an experience I had when I was a little girl. I was raised in a home that went to church, but we didn't really understand that you could have a personal relationship with Jesus. And I remember one day coming home from kindergarten at noon, and it was... December and it was a cloudy day and it was dark and I walked into my front yard and my dad had spent the morning building a life-size nativity set and I was in such awe when I saw it there was something within me that just stirred and drew me to it and so here I was this little five-year-old girl I remember my coat wasn't even buttoned and I didn't have gloves on it was really cold but I knelt down in front of Jesus and Mary and Joseph, and I just began singing any Christmas carol that I could possibly <laughs> think of because there was something that was drawing me. I was just in awe. And I didn't know until many years later when I became a part of the Jesus movement that that was God speaking to my heart. That was his voice in my heart drawing me close. But like Samuel, I didn't recognize the voice of the Lord. Sometimes we don't recognize the voice of the Lord because maybe we haven't heard it. Sometimes, though, I think we can get involved in things and we don't recognize the voice of the Lord because we have too many other things going on. 
Sometimes we have this feeling or this sense or this stirring within us. And even as believers, we have to pull away and we have to go, Lord, is that your voice? Is that you speaking to me? And get quiet to recognize the voice of the Lord. I think sometimes we don't recognize the voice of the Lord or we don't hear it because we've gotten out of the habit of listening. Now, I raised four kids, and for many, many, many years of my life, anytime anybody would say, Mom, Mama, Mommy, or Mother, I would go, Yes. Yes, it didn't matter where I was. I could be in a restaurant, I could be in a grocery store, Target, you know, somebody would go, Mom, and I'd go, Yes. And, and it came to my attention, actually, my daughter brought it to my attention this Christmas, that I've gotten out of that habit. We were shopping together, and she was a little ways away from me, and she went, Mom, Mom. Mom, Janice, and I turned. <laughs> I'd gotten out of the habit of listening for mom just because my change in season in my life. So I want to encourage you to look and say, have I gotten out of the habit of listening for God or looking for where God is working in my life or in the life of other people? Sometimes we don't hear the voice of God because we don't give opportunity for his pathways. Uh, now, I'm a bit of a sports fan. I've played sports all my life, enjoyed it. I have uh, a couple of teams, NFL teams, that I kind of follow. I know that there's a couple of important games going on today uh, that kind of set up the Super Bowl. I watch the Thunder a little bit. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't listen to it that much. But there's, there's some things I'm still interested in. But I've known some guys in my life over the years that are sports fans. These guys know everything. They know every statistic, they know every player, they know the general managers of the teams, they, they watch and they listen, they meditate on it day and night. Um, um, they listen to the sports gods, they watch Sports Center. They, they read it in the newspaper, they listen to sports radio, and they are being formed into being a sports fan. Because they give opportunity for that vehicle um, to be listened to consistently, they're being formed into a sports fan. The Lord speaks to us through the scripture. It's very clear that through the historical text. If we don't ever read it, if we don't ever listen to it, then that will not, uh, that will not form us. He forms to us in times of prayer. But if our prayers are usually just when we're kind of panicked and going through a difficult time, and our prayers are pretty much just our words, and we don't ever stop and listen, then we may not hear his voice. He speaks in quiet. He speaks in nature. If we don't ever get quiet, if we don't ever take times to just push away the clutter and settle things down, we may not hear his voice. So God is always speaking, we believe, to all people, all the time. Are we listening? If the word of the Lord is rare in your life, then the question we have to ask ourselves is, am I listening? Am I in a position where I can actually hear? Let's go on to the section of the lectionary that's the Psalms. This week's Psalm is in 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. 
you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. That I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end, and I am still with you. You know, in our experience in dealing with so many different issues in people's lives and just the struggles of the human condition, we've really found that it all boils down to one issue. We have forgotten who we are. When we read through the scripture, when we know that God, the creator of the universe, created you individually, perfectly. He knows every single thing about you because he formed you and he created you to be exactly who you are. And he knows every minute of every day of every year that you've ever lived through. He knows absolutely what's going on in every single aspect of your life right now. He knows all your relationships. He knows your thoughts. He knows your wants. He knows your dreams. He knows your pain. And he knows all the days that you have left ahead in your life. He knows the day when it will come for you to go home with him. And the plans that he has for you are all good because he is all good. And if we'd really allow ourselves to believe that, if we would allow ourselves to soak that in and say he knows me completely, he loves me, and he has only good for me, then of course we're going to want to spend time with him and go, Lord, speak to me. I want to know what your thoughts are. I want to know what you're speaking because you know me better than anyone else and you love me more than anyone else. So I want to hear from you. I want to hear what you are speaking into my life. One of the things that we've done, I think, in our modern world in interpreting scripture that has not helped us and maybe even harmed us is that we sometimes tend to just pick away every little part of it. We want to know all the facts. We want to know all the logic behind it. And sometimes we miss the whole point. Um, for centuries, people, when they came into uh, the temple courts, when they came into a, uh, an opportunity like this, uh, most people didn't read. They didn't have Bibles at home. They didn't have them on their phones. And so when the scripture was read, they just listened to it. And it just kind of soaked in them. And this is one of those sections of scripture that I think that is most powerful in our life when we just listen to it, when we just hear it. In some of our house church experiences, we encourage you to um, take times, it's called Lectio Divina, where you just let the scripture soak. You read it two or three times over, and you just let it soak in you. And so I'm going to ask you to take a minute and just close your eyes, quiet yourself for a minute, and just listen to these words one more time. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. 
Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your head upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. Let's go on to the epistles. This week's reading is in 1 Corinthians 6. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is meant not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. I was working on a project many years ago. We were remodeling a house, and we were newly married, and we were needing to do it on the cheap. And, and, uh, and so I was needing to uh, dig out some grout out of the tile in a bathroom. And it, some of it broken up and some of it discolored. And now they have these really handy little tools today, that, little hand tools that have little diamond bits on them that probably could have made that uh, uh, happen in about an hour. But I didn't have anything like that. The only thing that I had at my disposal was a screwdriver. And I had a, found a screwdriver that the blade was narrow enough that it would fit into the, into the grooves there. And so... Uh, I didn't finish it in an hour. Um, it took hours and hours and hours of a lot of blood, sweat, and tears with the screwdriver. But it worked. I got all of it out. And I was able to put new grout in, and it looked like new. But that screwdriver didn't look much like a screwdriver. Uh, it was pretty much destroyed. Both sides are, were um, all worn off. You couldn't actually... Get a hold. It looked like more like an awl, like something with just a point on the end of it. And so it was okay. I was able to get it done, but it actually destroyed the screwdriver. There are some things that we do that are okay, but are they beneficial? Are they helping us? Are they causing us to be more like Jesus? Are they causing us to be more human? The whole idea is that we're more human, that we're more like him uh, when we stay away from things that, that, are, that are harming us. Now, what the church has tended to do because of this over the years and Christians is, okay, there are certain things that harm us that aren't beneficial to us. Then let's come up with a bunch of rules. These are all the good things that Christians can do, and these are all the things that Christians shouldn't do, and these are all the bad things that for sure we, we shouldn't do. Well, that's not what we're talking about either. As a matter of fact, N.T. Wright, theologian, says it this way. It's wonderful. It isn't that God or the church, has made up a list of rules on the back of an envelope or even on a stone tablet, which are now being applied to everyone on an arbitrary one-size-fits-all basis. God isn't behaving like old Procrustus 
the Greek mythological character who put people on his bed and made them fit it either by cutting bits off or by stretching them. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Many today imagine that the moral teaching of Christianity is like that, and they grumble against God or the church for such an unfair system. Rather, it's that the creator God has unveiled his genuine model for humanity in Jesus, the Messiah. And there are certain ways of behaving which just don't fit. If you want to be a truly, fully human being, those ways of behaving have to be left behind. Now, Paul here is quoting these two slogans that were being used in Corinth at the time um, by new converts and people in the culture that were trying to justify some of their behavior. So it was all things are lawful for me. They were understanding this message of grace in a way that was different. So it's like, I can, I can do everything then. And then the food is made for the stomach and the stomach for food. Now, those may be a little bit outdated, but we might have some modern slogans um, today that might be, well, boys will be when in Rome, what happens in Vegas? <laughs> so we have our modern slogans like this. If we were to say those, Paul would follow as he did those. And he said, but all things are not beneficial. But I will not be dominated by anything. Are we doing things that are not beneficial? Like using a screwdriver to dig out the grout. It'll get the job done, but it damages um, the tool. Are we being dominated by anything? One of the reasons that I believe that we don't hear the voice of God is because we're looking for things in our life to, to bring fulfillment and satisfaction, to reduce our anxiety or fear or bring peace or happiness in our life. They're actually diminishing us. They're actually taking away uh, some of our life so that we're not being fully human and we're not being fully Christian which are both synonymous with the idea of freedom. So what if something that maybe we're looking at is beginning to dominate us? It's beginning to be the boss of us and tell us what to do. What if we recognize that this year and we stepped into that in a, in a stronger way this year to begin to move away that, from that so that we can be more fully human and more fully made in his image? All things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. There are some things in our life that are okay, but they can end up taking time and taking energy and choking things that are good and that are healthy in our lives. I think about the parable of the sower and the seed that he threw on ground that was good, but because of the stuff that was in the ground already, because of the thorns and the weeds, it choked out the healthy plants and they couldn't grow any longer. So we're looking at, are there things in our lives that maybe are okay? And some of them may be even good things. But things that aren't in the right timing and aren't in the right place can actually choke out some of the good things that God wants to do in our lives. I love puzzles. I love all kinds of puzzles. I like jigsaw puzzles. I like word puzzles. I like numbers puzzles. And so when we get on a plane to go somewhere, I always have a book of puzzles with me. And I do puzzles the entire flight. Now, I'm not afraid to fly. I don't even have any anxiety when I'm on the, the airplane at all. But I do start to get uncomfortable being that close to people. 
And if I let myself think about it, I start thinking about germs and, oh, I'm so close to these people and we're in this small area. So it's just better if I do puzzles. It just, (laughs) it keeps my mind distracted and it just makes the flight go better and it's good. So one day I decided, you know, this helps me get my mind off of it. I've got a lot of stressors at work. I think when I come home in the evening before I go to sleep, I'll do a puzzle before I do my nightly reading. So now you have to realize I am the kind of person that I can lay down anywhere and fall asleep within 10 minutes. So I could lay down right now and fall asleep in 10 minutes. I'm just one of those, I go right to sleep. So I get my puzzles and I start working on my puzzles and think, I'll do this before I read. Well, I got, some of the puzzles were timed and I got a really good time on them. So it's like, oh, I'm gonna do another one because I bet I could do it even faster. And then I would do one and it wouldn't be as fast. And it's like, oh, well, I better do one more because that time was way too slow and I need to make it faster than that. And I started getting competitive with myself and going, okay, I bet I could go up a level of difficulty and still do it in under that many minutes. And it got to where I kept doing puzzle after puzzle after puzzle. And I go, okay, I have to put this down. It's getting late. I need to read. So I put it down and then I'd start to read and I'd go, but that puzzle's not finished. I should probably go finish that. Now don't judge me if that's what you're thinking. But, but I found myself staying up till like one and two o'clock in the morning because I was consumed with these puzzles. Now there's nothing wrong with puzzles, but sometimes things that are okay or things that are even good can get in the way if they're in the wrong place or in the wrong timing. So there are activities, events, and habits that can steal time away from us and that keep us from really hearing the voice of the Lord. Now, the good news is there are also activities, events, and habits that make us more sensitive to listening to the Lord and put us in a position where we can hear from him and hear what he wants us to do with our lives. I love the fact that A.J. Sherrill is coming. I'm really looking forward to that time because he's going to really walk us through some things to help us be positioned where we can hear from God more clearly. Some people ask me how I can possibly sit through three services every weekend. I do that for several reasons. One, I want to be with you guys in the different services. Two, the sermon's different, a little bit different every service. But three, I love being in the atmosphere. I love being in praise and worship. I love being where I hear the word because even if I don't hear something in the sermon, I feel like I can more easily hear from God in that situation. And so I like to position myself to be in the situation of where God's voice is speaking. Let's go on, and we're going to take a look at the um, gospel reading for today. Just so that you know, we did find a support group for puzzle people, and uh, she's really doing a lot better. So. so I'm thinking somebody here is judging me. I don't know, but I'm thinking somebody. Okay, we're going to go on to the final reading, which is in John. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses in the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, 
I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. This first, start, first part, I think, is interesting um, humor. There, there's a lot of humor in Scripture, if you'll really listen and hear it. This whole idea of, is there anything that good that can come out of Nazareth? I think that was just a funny little thing that they were saying. Uh, some people tried to break that apart and go, what does, what does that mean? Uh, I think it's a little bit like uh, somebody that follows the sports team out of Norman, making a comment of somebody that follows uh, the sports team out of Stillwater. Um, can anything good come out of Stillwater? Or can anything good come out of Norman? I think that's what's going on here. I had a buddy years ago that was uh, a big supporter of the sports teams in Norman. And so he has a baby. And during their baby shower, they got some presents. And any present that had any tint of orange in it, he threw it away. And I said, dude, just give it to somebody that's, you know, for the other team. And he goes, no, no, these are tainted. <laughs> okay, that's a sports. Anyway, that's kind of what's going on. It's just kind of a funny here. Um, but just with one word from Jesus, one word, one cryptic sentence that helped Nathaniel know because Nathaniel was from Cana, which is just up the road from, from um, Nazareth. And he said... Um, I knew you before you ever knew me. Just that statement, Nathaniel turned his whole um, countenance around and said, you are the son of God. It actually took Jesus kind of a little bit by surprise, I think. It's like, you believe that I'm the son of God because just because I knew you before you knew me? And he goes on and says, if you think that's something, wait. <laughs> You've not seen anything yet. And we would say to you today, as you step into 2015, whatever you've experienced in God, whatever impact has been in your life, the pinnacle of what your experience is, just wait. If you lean into this year, if you take your faith and, 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 and come into these moments and with expectancy and listen and open your ears, I believe he's going to amaze us. I believe he will amaze you. This last final verse here, I don't know if it reminds you of anything, but it says, and he said to them, very, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Those in the early church would have easily referenced Jacob in that. The story of Jacob and Esau in Genesis 25 and 28. You may know the story. If not, you might want to go read it. It's just as potent today as it was when it was written. Jacob and Esau were twins. Esau came out first, so he was the elder brother, and he was um, in line for the inheritance of the family, and Jacob was a schemer. Jacob was, Jacob was going to try to steal um, his brother's birthright. The whole story continues, and eventually Esau runs Jacob out of town. So here he is, Jacob. He's out in the wilderness by himself, penniless, no home, totally by himself, and he has a dream. And in the dream, he sees this ladder, 
If you're in Sunday school, you remember Jacob's ladder. This ladder, the, the, the feet of the ladder were on the ground. The, the top of the ladder was in the heavens. And he saw these angels were going up uh, and coming down the ladder. And the Lord was at the bottom of the ladder saying to Jacob, I will take you, I will restore you to a place of peace and prosperity in your life. Jacob was so moved by that experience. In essence said, I am with you. I am with you when you're penniless. I am with you when you're in the wilderness. I am with you when you feel like you're totally alone. I am there. Jacob was so moved by that that he called this Bethel, which simply means God's house. That God is always with us. He does never go to sleep. He's always paying attention. And as um, time went on, Jacob was restored back to his land and his descendants took over and possessed that land again. And Bethel became one of the, the high watermarks, one of the highest sanctuaries of place of worship um, for, for the Israelites. It was this place where God was with them. Historically, the church has always connected that with the idea that every time that we gather here, that he is literally with us. Now, how would we act differently if we believed that? If we walked in here and believed that God was literally here, and we aren't just coming here to talk about him or to, to worship him wherever he might be, but that somehow he is in this place. He is in this moment. Now, because of Jesus and because of the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we actually hold God in us. He, he, we carry him. What if we really believe that? When we had those times in quiet where we stopped and prayed and we, we believe that God is really here, because you can have the Holy Spirit in you and still not be listening. You cannot be paying attention. But what if we really believe that? What if we believed when we are in our house church um, connections in small communities that he is actually there and we're going to that home? He's sitting on the couch. He's there. What, what would happen if we believe that when we gather here that there's this ladder, these angels um, ascending and descending and that there's this heaven meets earth experience? In any of those moments, it's a heaven meets earth experience. What, what would our focus be? Would we be paying more attention? Would be, we be listening more clearly? Would we be taking this more seriously? So we've talked about one simple way going into the new year, where if you simply kind of paid attention to the calendar and opened up the lectionary and began to read maybe just a few verses um, um, each day leading up to the week and realize that I'm connecting my life with all of the Christians throughout the world, many of whom are reading the same thing. Many congregations that are gathering are, are listening for the, this, these same rhythms in this same season. Um, what might happen differently as we go into the new year? What might be formed in us? How might we be formed more into his likeness uh, if we pay more attention this year? Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services at 5 p.m. on Saturday, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Sundays. 
And if you would like more information on who we are and what we're about here at Sanctuary, or to give online, please visit our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com, or you can download our mobile app from the App Store or Google Play. We hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.